Coming up, I'll reveal to you the jobs that tend to have the highest burnout. We'll break that down. And then social entrepreneur and founder Brett Hagler joins me. This will inspire you. Let's go. Helping you win in your work life so that you're winning in other areas of your life because your work has a way of affecting it all. This is the Ken Coleman Show. So glad you're with us. All right, so let's uh, dive into the data, shall we? I saw this recently. I said, we got to share this. What are the jobs? And we're talking about uh, specific industries here, not so much job titles, um, that have the highest turnover and the greatest risk of burnout. Uh, This is according to LinkedIn Global Data, as they did a deep dive on uh, the the roles or the types of jobs with the highest turnover rate and burnout, and then also those with the lowest turnover. So where are you? Are you in any of these categories, and what do you do about it? Let's first look at um, these categories, because the reason this matters is because if you're aware that you know a certain type of work has greater chances of fill in the blank, then it's nice to know that. You know, it's like it's like taking a, a risky outdoor job you know, an iron worker or, uh, you know, you're in some type of high risk situation. It's, it's nice to know this. Okay. So, uh, this is important stuff. All right. So, um, let's get to these, uh, industries. Okay. So, uh, number one on the list is human resources, human resources. Look at that. And, and isn't that ironic? Human resources. Number one, number two, research roles number three product management number four marketing and number five consulting all right so i want to walk through uh why these roles have such high turnover and burnout okay now when you look at these two factors here it's pretty obvious to me that the burnout happens first turnover second right but sometimes uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be burnout that causes the turnover. So let's look at this, okay? Now, these roles, human resources, research, product management, marketing, and consulting are all pretty subjective roles. They have a clear goal, but the how we reach the goal can look completely different. It can look very different from company to company. So for example, uh, Consulting is number five. Consultants are typically hired to advise on a certain problem or solution, uh, but the approach, the solution, the results are going to vary from project to project. And, And so let's pause there for a second. So for a consultant, the very nature of you're being brought in for something very, very specifically, and then once we address it uh, or you've equipped us, advised us to what we need to do, then it's time to move on. So high turnover. So in this situation, I wouldn't be concerned about consulting having high turnover. If you talk to anybody who's successful as a consultant, they actually like that they're moving on to the next thing. Okay. So that's an example of it's just very subjective to that situation. But we're in a time uh, of history where you take human resources. The reason it's the number one role right now for burnout and turnover is because look at what those poor folks went through during the Great Resignation. I mean, HR people were dealing with fires every day. You know, fires of 
uh, of health nature, practices, mental health issues at an all-time high, people leaving at a super high rate. So if you think about it, the poor HR executive uh, or anybody in it, forget just the executive role, but HR folks, um, they've been catching plates falling off the cupboard for a long time. And even when people leave in their own team, they're left behind. Uh, the other thing to know about HR is they're in the kitchen. They're in the kitchen. In other words, they they see how all the sausage is being made. Uh, Alex, have I ever told you that I worked at McDonald's for two weeks? I did tell you this. So uh, one of the summers in my high school year, I can't remember if it was junior or senior year, uh, my dad was putting the pressure on me. He's like, man, look, you, you got to make some money. Okay. And uh, so I had been working a job and he said, you need more money for college. And so I said, all right, I'll work a second job. So I went and got a second job at the local McDonald's. And I, I guess this is the case for everybody. But when you start out at a fast food place, my guess is they put you in the kitchen, right? So I had two jobs uh, in my McDonald's job. I worked evening shift, Joe. And Joe, you need to hear this because I know you like you some fast food. But what I'm about to tell you is gonna gonna be disturbing. Uh, so they start me in the kitchen, and my job was to cook. So I was cooking the burgers. You know, you got your burger, your cheeseburger, your Big Mac, your quarter pounder, and you got your chicken nuggets. All right. And then after the after my shift was a part of my shift after the the store closed, I had to stay and wash all the dishes. That was my job. Well, first of all. You cannot imagine how much grease is on the floor. You literally have to be careful that you don't blow an ACL moving around in that kitchen. They, they now make shoes for this. Both my boys have had jobs at fast food, which I'm glad they did. Uh, and they got these no-slip shoes, but it doesn't even work. You might as well be on, on, a, on, on, on an iced-out lake. <clears throat> Second, do you know how hot the water is at a fast food place that washes the dishes? And it comes out like a fire truck hose. And so you got to be careful not to scald yourself. Well, I saw what the nuggets looked like when I got them out of the freezer and I put them in the oil and the oil and, and I saw how nasty the food was. I lasted three nights. I told my dad, I'll find another job, but I'm never working in a fast food place the rest of my life. It was the most disgusting thing I'd ever experienced in my life. High turnover. Just very simple. I saw how the food was made and I went, I'm out. And I haven't had much McDonald's, by the way, I mean, not much at all since that day. Every once in a while, a guy just needs a quarter pounder, okay? But I saw how the food was made. I wanted out. You see a lot of HR people leaving high turnover because they see how things are being dealt with. They're on the front lines. They're like in the ER, if you will. Second, HR team at any company has faced intense pressure over the last few years just with, we got to replace the people that have left. And so that's why it's so high. So understand in that particular role what you're going into. You are essentially signing up for an ER triage job, okay? All right, now, real quick, uh, what are the roles that have the lowest turnover rates? This is very interesting. Now, keep in mind, I just showed you two examples of subjective roles. These are a little more objective. Number one, administration. Number two, operations. Number three, accounting. Number four, Business development number five, finance. Now look at this. Look at the similarities in these roles. These roles are very objective in nature, and so they focus on process. They're very objective. Here's our process. Do it. Administration. 
do the work, right? This is how we do the process. Operations, again, A to B to C to D to E, you get the point. So because these roles are so much more process-driven, it doesn't have all this variable going on and variable factors that affect the worker and affect the role. So with expectations being so clear and people who like processes like order. And so if you're good at it and your boss is out of your hair and you're happy, there's not a lot of turnover. You know why? Because they're in a process role and these people love freaking process. They get to be a part of the efficiency and excellence every day and they freaking love it. There's not all these high swings and all these different things. It's like, sit down and do this. Okay. It's great. By the way, these roles, we don't want high turnover in these roles because quite frankly, they look, they, they, they keep the world going around. So how do we use this data to improve your work, your career director, uh, trajectory rather, and your job satisfaction and the hunt. If the specific company that you're working at or want to work at has a role like this and has high turnover, it should be a massive red flag. If, if it has low turnover, that is a good sign. This is like a dating situation, getting married. Does this person provide stability? Does this company provide stability? It's all about your health or else you're going to leave eventually. Hey, high school seniors and parents of high school seniors, it's almost graduation time. And if you're not sure about next steps, I want you to listen to this. Coding skills are essential in today's workforce. And my friends at Bethel Tech can help you start a new career really fast and do it cheap. It only takes nine months to complete a Bethel Tech course in UI, UX design, full stack development, data science, or cybersecurity. And your young person can get over a thousand hours of experience in a collaborative environment and then get placed. The average starting salary for a junior developer is $66,000. And the field is projected to grow by 22% over the next five years. Software development is a career with an enormously bright future. And right now, Bethel Tech is offering you 10% off if you watch or listen to the Ken Coleman show and you pay cash. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman, BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman right now for details. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman show. If you're enjoying the program, would you help us grow? If you're watching via YouTube, you can do that by liking the video with a thumbs up, subscribing to our channel, and sharing with someone you think will be better off for it. And if you're listening via podcast, you can give us a follow and a five-star review and share as well. Uh, also, uh, the singular tool that is just selling like hotcakes is the Get Clear Career Assessment. It's about a 15-minute assessment that allows me to walk you through. It's a really a measuring tool for self-awareness, and it will measure what you do best. We call this talent. It'll measure what you love to do. We call this passion. It will measure results that matter deeply to you. We call this mission. Gives you a detailed report and a purpose statement filled in with those vital things about you and a deep dive so you see yourself 
as the we see you and see how much value you can bring and you get ideas that's clarity you get confidence to move forward to discover and you get courage to take the step forward not a leap not a jump so you can get it at kencoleman.com slash assessment kencoleman.com slash assessment okay excited about our guest today uh brett hagler uh, this guy is uh, a a social entrepreneur, a social inventor, and uh, you're gonna absolutely love this story. Um, New Story Charity is the organization, and um, you're gonna absolutely love this. Um, and 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 how he came up with the idea. Um, uh, you know what was the idea behind 3D housing? and 3D printing of houses. Like, where do you come up with an unbelievable idea like that? And then what's the vision going forward? Um, This is what we talk about. And so you're going to love this. Here is a little bit of my conversation with Brett Hagler. So, Brett, I I love the story, and I've heard so much about your organization, but I want to get deeper here. How did you come up with the idea to 3D print houses and communities? Where does that start? If you go back to the early... DNA or the founding, the catalyzing of it. Um, you know, Ken, I was I was a 24 year old kid and had never experienced um, being families living without adequate housing, and ended up getting out of my comfort zone and taking a, a trip to Haiti, where I met um, families that didn't have life's most basic human needs, which was safety and shelter. And um, that's what really caught my heart. But then the second part and why I thought it made sense to actually try to start an organization um, was that I didn't, I couldn't find um, other organizations using enough innovation or technology. It felt like for some of the most vulnerable um, and lowest income families that it just felt like they were somewhat of an afterthought when it came to um uh, forward thinking and innovation. It just felt like a lot of the status quo. And so I say that because that was, that was the DNA. That was the early like feeling of why something like this should exist at that time. Didn't know yet if it was going to be, you know, 3d printing or modular or uh, different types of roof designs, like you name it, we're doing a lot of those things now, but that early feeling of, there's got to be a different way to do this. And we want to found the organization based off of that, those principles and that DNA. So that's the, the kind of behind the scenes story. And then, of course, um, ended up uh, having a, an incredible partnership with uh, a startup called Icon. And we ended up um, doing the very first 3D printed community um, in the world. Yeah. So you see a problem. Mm-hmm. You go, housing's a major problem. But you're going, we got to take some technology. There's got to be a way to bring some technology, some some innovation into this to solve this problem. That's where you're at. That's all you see in the moment. We just got to do something. And and I and I want yeah, people to yeah. hear. I mean, I love this because I want people to understand where the brain starts to go. The brain, the heart start to connect and you and you start digging. I mean, what was that process like as you come back? You've already identified there's a problem. There's got to be a better way. Where did your head go through the process to figure out, okay, yeah. maybe I can do something here? Yeah, two things. Um, one, I I called the uh, trying to identify the problem behind the problem, mm. right? So the obvious problem, we see different problems in our lives, um, maybe why there's malnutrition or why there's inadequate housing, like long list, right? And I think to try to 
there's a human element of it. There's a heart component that's really important, right? That should, it should capture your emotion and your heart, which is very real. But then I think to like really step back and not just say, I want to try to solve that by just donating money in the same way that it's been trying to be solved, but obviously not making a lot of progress for the last you know, decades, but to really try to, um, which takes some more risk, but to look at the problem behind the problem of why is this happening? And could we, you know, try to decrease the cost of construction? Should we try to rethink how housing finance can work so that people can actually afford it and they don't have to just be charitable beneficiaries, right? There's a long list for whatever the problem is that you're thinking, but that's a creative process that anybody could really, you know, put that hat on and think through. And I think that's what's scarce, Ken. That's what's scarce. And um, those are the things that I think more people should be thinking about and trying to do. And then my second um, point is after that, you don't want to get too overwhelmed or um, paralyzed by thinking that it's too expensive, too hard. It's nearly impossible. Like you don't have to try to be uh Elon Musk, or you don't have to try to be the, this crazy innovator person. Um, what you do is you you dream big, you think about it in a different way, but then you start small, right? So for us, it was about how do we get that first home done? Literally, it was one house, right? And then it was, how do we literally 3D print one prototype house, right? The list goes on. How do we literally get housing finance in a way that somebody can afford it instead of having to be a charitable beneficiary. How do we do that with one family and one micro mortgage in a unique way? Then we prove it out. And then we have the chance to, if it works, think about how do we keep going up from there? And so that's how we got started. It literally was I had two co-founders. Um, we were 24 and 25 years old. We say dream big, start small. We wanted to start one house and now we literally, you know, are trying to plan how to how to help millions of people get adequate housing. So that's a little bit of our backstory. I love that. How many houses, uh, just for our audience, where are you guys at right now? What's that tally look like? Oh, hopefully by the end of this year, um, a little more than a little more than five thousand. Um, and our our goal by twenty thirty is to partner with uh, a million people for adequate housing, yeah. um, but in a way that is uh, not just not just gifted to families. But that very, very, very low-income, vulnerable families actually have a chance to become a participant or a customer in a housing market. Um, that's really our big idea: is to is to help people, um, yeah, be a participant in in their own story where they can afford, they can pay, and, and that's that's our that's our mission. All right, I hope you enjoyed that with Brett. There's more great conversation coming up. Don't move. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't we all need help being better? And they're great at it. You know, we all carry around a lot of stress from our family life and our professional life, and it can just hit us at the same time. Big stuff, small stuff. And we can talk to our friends, or maybe you have a great relationship with a leader at work or a coworker, but you may not feel comfortable telling them everything. I know I wouldn't. And when we keep things bottled up, it will eventually leak out, and it's really negative. But therapy, it's a safe space. To get everything off your chest with an unbiased professional and figure out how to work through the stuff that's weighing you down. So if you've thought of therapy before, you're thinking about it now, 
please try BetterHelp. Therapy isn't just for people who've gone through trauma. It's great to build skills, to become better personally and professionally. And BetterHelp is flexible enough to fit your busy schedule because it's completely online. All you do is fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. It's time to get stuff off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ken. Is it possible to learn the skill of being innovative? And if so, how do you do it? And what's the tension between learning and doing? That's the continued conversation that I'm talking with Brett Hagler about. You're going to love this. Let's go right to it. I want to switch gears here because I, I, I hear your story and I see the story and I go, man, this is amazing. And I think a lot of people mm. watching this, listening to this are going to go, okay, um, how do I take this thing on my heart and actually mm. make it happen? I don't have a lot of time. Maybe I don't have a mm. lot of resources. And you addressed this earlier on in the conversation. Sure. Um, you don't have to be Elon Musk. I mean, you were essentially no. good grief. I'm 49. I'd say a 24 year old's a kid in my mind. And I don't say that with disrespect. <laughs> I just mean straight up, you sure. know, we look at the timeline of life. And so you didn't have a lot of experience, but you, you dug into it. I like the three part framework. You know, you thought cre- creatively, you thought big, and then you started small. Yep. What is the key to innovation? I've heard it said that innovation thrives when we don't have a whole lot of resources. That's a jumping off point for you with yeah. your version of it. How can these folks be innovative when they feel like they don't have a lot to be able to work with? First thing is is trying to demystify innovation, mm-hmm. right? You, yeah. And so sometimes when you hear that word, you think that means the next person that creates ChatGPT or um, or Tesla or the new Apple iPhone. Yes, those are obviously really great examples of innovation. But there are so many other examples where the definition that I use for innovation is identifying what could and should be better and then creating a solution for it. Right. And that can look that could be a process that could be a product that could be a service that could be um, something that you've the first part is identifying as the potential customer or whatever you might be in the in the process, man, this could be a lot better. You know, this could just, I wish this worked differently. I wish this, there wasn't as much tension or frustration, or I wish the customer service was so much better. Like the list goes on. It really starts there of being able to actually um, have the thoughtfulness to think why is this not better? Right. And I think that's, we can, whatever role we're in, whether at our company, whether in school, whatever it is, you can identify those, those problems and those pain points. And then I think actually then having the intentionality to, to dream a little bit, to have some vision, to have some imagination and just to simply come up with solutions of what could be a better way to do it. That is, different, more creative, um, a better experience for that customer. Um, that to me is the starting point of all of it. And then after you've identified that, you've, you've created something that I've used this word before, you've created something that feels scarce. It feels it, it feels different and unique and that a lot of not, not a lot of companies are doing it. And that's going to get people's attention. 
that's going to get investors' attention, that's going to get donors' attention, that's going to get customers' attention, et cetera, because you've identified something that could and should be better that will resonate with some people or they would raise their hand and they'd say, agree, I think that it should be like that or I like it like that better. And then you start small and you ask them to participate in whatever way that you need them to participate. And so I think that so like there's so many more people in this world, um, no matter what age they are, no matter what what experience they have, that can truly create more innovation if you just demystify it and you really just try to think more creatively. And that starts with identifying problems and then putting small action plans behind it. Yeah. But then following through, Kim, that's that's the thing where it's not rocket science. It's just it's just really following through with a plan that is um, a different type of plan than you see someone currently doing it. Yeah. On that point, and then your earlier assertion to start small, do you think the reason why so many ideas that come from the heart don't ever get off the ground because people don't understand the value of just starting small, that when we start small, there's really little to no risk. But we just, it's so hard. 100%. It's so hard to start small, isn't it? When we've got this big feeling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of the main mantra that I say all the time. And I think that there are, there's so much just potential wrapped up, built inside of people listening to right now, where over the course of a few years or whatever it is that you, an idea comes up, your ability to, to start small and then to actually take action on it which does for a certain period of time will require some some amount of sacrifice, right? You mentioned earlier, whether it's time or money, like, yes, something has got to give, right? You, there has to be some, there has to be some cost and effort that is extraordinary during a certain period of time to try to get something to work. That doesn't mean that you have to work 120 hours a week and you forget about your family, like all of that's a fallacy. Um, but you will need to put in some extra time, maybe risk a little bit with capital, et cetera. But yeah, when you start small, the thing about starting small is you actually take off, I'd say almost any excuse off the table. And it's just, it's just on you uh, if you want to actually try it or not. Because worst case scenario, if it fails, you didn't lose all your money. You didn't lose your whole career. I would argue you, even if it fails, you've actually made progress because you have a better story. You've learned more and you've done way more out of your comfort zone than you normally would have done before. And people are going to recognize that and they're going to affirm that and they're going to want to work with you again. So that's when you start small, there's very low risk in the, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. What have you learned about trying and failing and filtering and learning and then restarting. I mean, honestly, Ken, we like I'm very proud of New Story and you know what's happened since we had our vision, but we have we have made so many mistakes along the way. I have failed so many times. We have failed so many times. Um, you know, oftentimes when you're going after a bigger goal, nobody knows what they're doing until they do it. Yeah. Right. Like sure. you. And so I think you, the journey is, is being willing to have humility, learn, improve, 
have a process where you're really learning, you're owning it, you're not blaming people, you're taking extreme ownership, and then you are in being intentional about how am I going to take that learning and make it better and improve from there. You know, so much of my entrepreneurial journey and new stories uh, strategy for our next decade is because of things, a few things that we tried that didn't work. It would, they were models that we would try to get us to more scale and they didn't work. And that led us to what I, we were talking about earlier, which seems like you really liked Ken was our, our belief that the, the best thing we can do is help families become customers yes. in a housing market and that we can have market based solutions. Okay. It didn't start that way. It took years. It took trying to work with governments mm-hmm. that didn't work and failed. It, it took trying to work with other nonprofits in the housing market that just didn't have the capacity to do what we wanted them to do. Those things failed. And so it's a long story to say, um, you, I think you, nobody knows what they're really doing until yeah. they do it. And you, you have to learn by doing. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's an every, every entrepreneurial story yeah. um, that you'll see. I love talking to people like Brett Hagler because they're just like you. They saw a problem and they believed a solution was necessary and they came up with the solution. And then they continue to ideate and innovate to make the world a better place. I would love for you to learn more about what Brett and his team are doing. The New Story website is newstorycharity.org. If you want to help, volunteer, give, I think it would be great. But more importantly... What is the problem that you want to solve? Get after it. The world needs you. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.